You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And for this episode, we're going to be keeping the conversation going because we want to keep um, the names of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, Tamir Rice, Maurice Gordon, Sandra Bland. And unfortunately, the list can keep going and going and going, but we want to keep those names out there. We want to keep this conversation going so people stay informed and we don't want this to be got to be forgotten. And so we're back in the situation again. So, um, yeah. So like I said, Black Girl Nerds is committed to doing that. And I am not just here by myself. I have a um, fantastic guest with me here today to keep this conversation going. I am talking about Pulitzer Prize and Emmy Award winning journalist Tremaine Lee. He is also an MSNBC correspondent and host of the Into America podcast. So I am so glad to have him here with me today. Hey, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and I want to start off um, this kind of this question was kind of going throughout my mind as soon as I knew I was going to interview. I was excited about this because I want to kind of give the listeners a different perspective that we don't get all the time with all this coverage of the protests and everything that's going on. Um, and not to say that you speak for all of news broadcasting. Um, and I'm in production in that world. So I often find myself in this conversation as well. This is why this question is so important to me. But how do you deal with the idea of people asking why the media is covering the protests the way they're covering it? Or, you know, certain situations you find yourself in and maybe you don't have a choice of what the story is you're covering that day? Well, I, th- I think it, it depends. I think the one thing that we do have choice over or one <clears throat> one space that I control is how I center the narrative uh, that I'm either speaking to, reporting on or covering. So sometimes the critique of the media is absolutely correct because the media is not like um, any other institution in America that's been uh, touched in racism, touched in bias, touching all those things. So it's incumbent upon us um, <clears throat> working inside media to make sure mm-hmm. we're reflecting uh, the, the truest narrative possible. And sometimes that begins with our own experiences in our own communities to understand the language that's being spoken in these communities, right? So so we're not relying on um, tropes and stereotypes, ideally, you know, we're, we're connecting to the people in a different way. And so um, I don't pay much mind to the critiques necessarily, except for some of them are correct. And that, that's when we have to make sure uh, that we are redoubling our efforts. Uh, but I know from, mm-hmm. from, you know, I don't I don't get many of those uh, critiques because, you know, I try to keep it as, as true as possible. I mean, that's what I've done my entire career. So, you know, sometimes they're correct. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes people um, are just shouting into the ether, right? You're on social media and they're just, right. just shouting, right? But um, I think... The, the good thing is that the proof is always in the pudding so the people can consume mm-hmm. uh, the information that best address what their concerns are. <clears throat> right. And speaking of getting out there and speaking your truth um, into America, a fairly new podcast you started up. Can you tell me about how that started and why is that important to you? Yeah. So into America at this point, I think we're on episode 26, maybe or 27. Um and the, the whole idea behind Into America was to really get outside of our bubbles and really go out into America 
um, and, and approach politics and policy in a different kind of way. You know, so often, mm-hmm. uh, and I work for MSNBC uh, proudly. So, uh, but you know, the twenty-four-hour news cycle, you know, it's, it's kind of like a horse race sometimes, right? If you're not careful, the way we, yeah. uh, the lens from which we view politics, it's also like who's up now, who's falling behind. You know, it's daily drama, um, as opposed to the the way politics and policy actually impact the lives of everyday people. And so, the the goal of Into America was to do just that: go out into America um, and speak directly to to people about their concerns, their needs. Um, but also how the backdrop of policy is really impacting them, you know, and I really do believe that this is the kind of thing I worked my entire life trying to, trying to do, right. Always out there with the people and trying to tell the people's story. You know, I care deeply about, uh, the most vulnerable among us, marginalized community, most certainly, uh, black folks in this country, but also the poor yeah. of any race, uh, the marginalized of any race. So, you know, into America, we've been trying, obviously it's, it's shifted a bit through first through COVID-19, right. So now we're mm-hmm. kind of sequestered and we have to engage with how people are, um, you know, the fallout from COVID-19, whether it's the the emotional stuff, whether it's the health related impact, whether it's the economic impact. And now in, uh, you know, this era of uprising, rebellion and protest, um, we've shifted again to, to address, you know, all of the concerns um, around systemic racism, uh, the, the, the initial ideals of white supremacy that in so many ways still guide this country, um, the protest, yeah. pushback, all of those things. So that's a long answer, but that is Into America. Right. And also, and I want to kind of break down some of the episodes that kind of drew me into it. Um, One was um, religious freedom versus public health or public safety. And to get into that one on a different scale, because I remember in there you you kept saying, um, which I completely agree, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. I remember you kept using that phrase, which it is. But what's also complicated among that same thing, among public safety, the protests. And sometimes there's protests, too, about um, COVID-19 and the effects on African-American community. But how important do you think uh, has or has that gone out of the window because you're dealing with the fact now of Black people being, you step out the door and there's another risk to your health besides just living in a pandemic right now. So do you think that that issue of COVID-19 affecting the African-American community, do you think that's still a, is that something that's just kind of put on the back burner for lack of a better word? Or is that something that, it's still very much becoming an even bigger issue now. Well, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's, it's, um, you know, been a back burner issue at all. I think it's, it's integral to what we're seeing in terms of the response to George Floyd's killing, but not just George Floyd, mm-hmm. Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, right? The list goes on this kind of um, saturation of, of black pain that we've experienced in the last few weeks. Um, I think it's right. a component of it because we're not only being um, targeted in, in so many instances by police violence, uh, but the violence mm-hmm. of the abject, abject kind of violence or abstract kind of violence um, of lack of access to quality health care. You talk about pre-existing conditions yeah. that make us more vulnerable to the disease. Well, racism is the, our pre-existing condition in this country, where we live, the air that we breathe. Right. And so all of the frustration um, of, of thinking about frontline workers um, being, being um, you know, infected more often, we're more likely to be those frontline workers. You think about the economic collapse of those hourly wage workers who lost hours and their, their restaurants are closed and the business are closed. That's hitting black folks disproportionately. You know, we think about the, the unemployment fallout, the sky high numbers um, across the country. Well, typically during the best of times, the black unemployment rate is twice that of the white unemployment rate. So here we are as the bottom of the economy has kind of fallen out. Black folks are disproportionately affected. So I don't, I don't think you can um, unhinge, untwine or separate in any way the 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 way black folks have been hit by COVID-19 with our response generally to the killing of George Floyd. Right. 
And also in the response to these protests as well, another big issue that's coming up is the um, the chemicals used by law enforcement against the protesters. Because mm-hmm. originally, and, and you know, this could be taken so many different ways and it depends on, you know, I guess your interpretation of what a protester is doing, which is a dangerous thing as well. But, you know, the chemical is supposed to be another way of, you know, if they're getting out of hand, a way of controlling the situation. But I know from where I am right now in Charlotte, we have now the um, the city council has now stopped funding these the use of these chemicals because they were used to kind of box in a group of protesters lately for the George Floyd protests. And so I just want to kind of get your thoughts on um, what you're seeing as far as the response um, through government, the government response to these chemicals being used on protesters. Well, <clears throat> first, I mean, I think <clears throat> we need to kind of educate ourselves on the weapons that are often used during these protests and during a normal time when people aren't in the streets protesting, you know, we call them like, uh, you know, non-lethal weapons, but really they're less, right. less lethal weapons. We talk about rubber bullets. They are, have made mm-hmm. and kill people. When you think about uh, tasers, those are less lethal. They kill people every single year, right? You're pumping p- people's bodies full of with voltage of electricity. You're killing people. These chemical agents and they parse words, whether um, pepper spray is an irritant, but is it a chemical irritant? It's all it's all violent, right? And, but it's not just right. the, the chemicals or the pseudo chemicals that they're using to, to deploy deploying on these crowds. They're also using sonic mm-hmm. weapons, right? Back from Ferguson on, in in New York especially, they were using sonic weapons that you can't even see, but it's it's an an extra level of irritant to your senses, right? And so, you know, when you think about protests, it's it's the there are a few things more American than protests, right? This country was founded not just on protest but revolution. And so the response right. to government, especially peaceful protesters, uh, we think we don't have to think too too far back when, you know, uh, President Trump for a photo op, you know, used tear gas and um, a police squad to come through and clear the streets. It's violence, right? Um, mm, and now you see the yeah. back from a bunch of military folks saying that is an unnecessary use of National Guard and, and local authorities. And so, but it's but it's age old, right? It's it's you know there's a continuum here. There's nothing new here. The response from protest against police violence is more police violence. And we've seen that from Ferguson when the the full militarization of police was on display. They're getting these surplus military weapons. And when it comes to protests, they show up with armored vehicles, tanks, snipers, literally snipers, deploying (laughs) chemical irritants, right? Flashbang bullets. It's, it's, there's nothing new here. Sadly. And I guess, yeah. And I think, right. Sadly. And I think my only concern is, um, well, I, I guess either way, it's a double-edged sword, um, the way the the way we're talking about it now. But if they're not using the chemical weapons, like I said, here in Charlotte, they've stopped funding it. What's going to be next? You know, because that's already the start of, you know, where some of these protests began, you know, with the violence that they're choosing, you know, and they're not, and these are not necessarily non-lethal options that they're already using. So that, you know, that has me worried for you know, protest and when it's a necessary thing that needs to happen in this country to make it uncomfortable for, you know, for this, for another, cause I don't want to see, I know me personally having to be back there and you're on a news covering George Floyd again, you know, like the second thing you're covering, the second um, shooting you're covering. I mean, well, <clears throat> and forgive me if I don't answer the question, cause I'm not sure I understood the question completely, but I think the next, the idea of this next step is that's the big concern. You know, there, there are many folks who remember Kent State, right, 1970, where, um, you know, they've actually fired on the crowd and killed people, right? It's, it, it's happened yeah. in history. So the, the concern next is how, how far, how far will they go, 
right? Um, or yeah, the, and that's the or, question. Yeah. Yeah, but during 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 an average day, the brute force being used by um, the state, which is the police, on everyday citizens, um, people would be shocked and appalled by that level. Let alone when mm-hmm. um, there are possible uh, violations of people's constitutional rights to to free assembly and protest and all that stuff. I mean, but again, that is the concern. And we've seen, if, if anything, <clears throat> these protests and the response to these protests have revealed um, just how easily and willingly law enforcement um, is willing to use uh, that violence. And we've also seen because of the the cross-racial, um, cross-cultural nature of the way these protests have kind of built, right? There are some protests where it's all white folks or half white, and we've seen police beating yeah. And I think that's a game changer because now those who might have been inclined mm-hmm. to think, oh, these protesters, oh, you know, whoever, they must have been doing something wrong. If only they complied. Well, now they see when these batons are being, um, you know, heaped upon white shoulders and white heads. Right. And they're being tackled and, you know, getting a, just a taste of the treatment that black folks have received for a long time. I think they're starting to view uh, law enforcement and their response to these protests in, in a different way. Yeah. And speaking of um, what's next and the change that we're seeing, um, another episode you had was into um, into protest and the NFL. Mm-hmm. And this one I found interesting because it's about um, you have you guys definitely talked about the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, his announcement and just the the idea of is this enough? You know, and even even if you take it beyond the NFL and the entertainment industry, you know, because, you know, unfortunately, a double edged sword, we're all sitting at home, not a lot to do. There are showrunners, there are network execs being called out for what they're putting on the air. And so my question to you is, do you feel it's enough from the from the interviews you've conducted? Is, it, is there enough change going on where it's not like, oh, OK, you know, so to speak, two weeks later, we're back to the same thing? Well, I guess it depends what you want. Right. It depends what you're fighting for. Right. If it's. Um, a baseline acknowledgement of the disparities. Um, I think there there has been a full circle come around from Roger Goodell where they had banned kneeling, period. And now they're saying, you know what, maybe we should have listened. You know, the, the unjust treatment of black folks, you know, it's not fair, right? And we stand by mm-hmm. our players. That's a, a marked difference from uh, the tone they struck in 2016, 17, and 18, right, before. Um, yeah. if, you want, if you want wide scale systemic change, equity and ownership, equity and coaching, all those things, of course, this isn't enough. Um, but when we're we're operating in a capitalist kind of paradigm, what do we expect these businesses who are built on uh, the exploitation of labor? What, what more do we actually expect? Right. And so that's when we talk about the systemic nature of it, that it's built in, it's baked in and that it takes more than just, you know, a statement. But again, um, those who can appreciate some incrementalism, right? Like small steps. Uh, this is progress, right? This is different yeah. from what we saw just a few years ago. But again, we'll see how they respond uh, when and if a season kicks off, right? And what what does right? Progress, that's true. Yeah. How do they respond? And then again, they are a business, billion, a multi-billion dollar business, who really they're appeasing a lot of their fans. A lot of them who are white mm-hmm. love to see black men run fast, hit people, you know, catch a ball, dunk, whatever. Um, but they don't necessarily care about, um, you know, black bodies and black life, right? They love and enjoy black, mm-hmm. culture, yeah, yeah. black prowess, but they don't necessarily love black people. So it'd be interesting how, um, you know, the fans respond. In that same breath, though, because the the nature of this protest and the call for justice in George Floyd's case, but also um, a, a closer examination of racism, period, a lot of white people who didn't have any real clue for whatever reason, willfully ignorant, miseducated, whatever, they are asking 
um, and if we take them in good faith, are asking, you know, what can we do? They're just now realizing right. how bad things really are. So maybe that fan base actually responds in a positive way and supports those folks who give them so much joy and entertainment. Who knows? And what is your response to um, kind of kind of within what you just said, the response to, you know, white people still not understanding and, you know, the backlash that's on Instagram and Twitter when you have um, someone famous or just in general, people are saying all lives matter, you know, instead of black lives matter. Um, because they don't understand you you continue to say well what do I do to make them understand because you're saying black lives matter is not taken away from all lives it's the fact that black lives haven't mattered I mean the problem is it's not just that we live you know physically segregated from each other the education that we receive um, also whitewashes history so I think a lot of a lot of white folks arrive at this place honestly they got it honestly from mm-hmm. everything they've been educated on their entire lives. They turn on TV and there's an absence of people of color. They turn on the news and it's it's sometimes two sidesism and not getting to the root of the issue. It's people uh, tap dancing along the line, not wanting to call a thing what it is, right? Racism and systemic, uh, you know, systemic oppression, right? So mm-hmm. in many ways, what more could we expect from them? And that's why there is a call to to recenter the narrative and understand what and who America really actually is, right? Um, so it's not like you can necessarily fault some of them. There are other people who have uh, willfully weaponized this language, though. They know it's racist. They just benefit from benefit from it enough where they don't care to see, you know, put in any work at all because they benefit from it. And so I think that's where we have to make sure that um, a re-education is part of all of this. Because who can fault mm-hmm. the white kid who grew up in an all completely white school in a completely white neighborhood, and there is a threat of anti-blackness even in the absence of black folks. There is a threat of anti-blackness or explicit anti-blackness from parents, school teachers, the news, movies, whatever it is. And so I think that's why we are at this moment of of a racial reckoning, right? Let's actually reckon with these ideas. So again, there's a lot of politicians, they know what they're doing here. Uh, the language they use, we talk about dog whistles. So, no, it's a whistle whistle, right? It's a whistle that everyone can hear. We've seen it from the, yeah. the administration down, right? Charlottesville, good people on both sides, all this messaging. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess we'll see how things shake out. Yeah. And then my last question here to kind of wrap everything, because I know um, George Floyd, um, by the time we're recording this, when it's out, the funeral is going on right now. So we have a lot of people covering that. So I don't want to keep you. But my last question I want to ask you, um, what um, what do you kind of do to because it's very even though we want to keep this conversation out there, we want to keep um, this uh, channel of knowledge flowing. What is a de-stressor for you? Because to me, it's very like mental health is very important. And so what do you do to kind of take a step back every now and again, um, you know, maybe to get you ready for that, um, you know, to go live on air, to go to cover a story? Is there do you listen to other podcasts? What is like a what is just kind of like a a mental um, outlet or outlet for you? Well, well, first and and foremost, I always start with what my priorities are. Right. And so my priority is to be sane and healthy and alive for my family and my loved ones and to continue mm-hmm. to right you gotta live to fight another day um but in that yeah. it's like the most important thing to me again is my family right so i spend time with my daughter my wife we <clears throat> when i'm when i'm uh, present i'm present right so mm-hmm. i understand um this work is connected to me right um as a journalist but also right. as a black journalist i walk in the footsteps of ida b well so there is no taking a break from that um Mm, but on, yeah. the, on the same token, you know, I, I need to be here, right? So I, I disconnect sometimes. So I understand that, you know, sometimes a story is just a story. As much as I want to cover it, my priority is right here at home, 
right? Um, and I try to, right. I try to breathe. I try to be intentional about um, taking a deep breath. I try to, to be intentional about being mindful and meditating. Um, I try to be intentional about actually processing the information I'm consuming, not just seeing this terrible image and, you know, putting it over to the side and thinking I deconstructed it. No, because it's still sitting there. I think about it. Mm-hmm. I allow, my, allow myself to feel, right? And you move through your feelings, whether it's seeing an, a, a Black man lose his life and that spectacle of Black death is paraded on the cameras or whatever it is. You have to say, you know, how am I feeling? Always in touch with yourself. And so that helps me kind of like right. break it up into small pieces. The, 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 the parts I don't need, let it kind of unfurl. The part that have some value, hold on to. Um, but again, it starts with setting priorities and knowing that, you know, I need to be here for, for my daughter, right? I need to be here uh, for my family, people who love me and support mm-hmm. me. Got to be around. If not, you can't let any of this. Um, and it's hard. It's, 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 it's harder when it's big social stuff like racism. But when it comes to the pressure right. of a job, when it comes from the pressures of people who might not understand uh, what you're working through, your struggle, I, I can't let mm-hmm. that break me. Like that's not even a, mm-hmm. that's not even a thing. Right. So it's hard though. It's not easy, but, um, you know, I think the word is intentional. You gotta be intentional about stepping away and, and finding peace wherever you can get it. Yep. Finding peace. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. And, um, listeners definitely stay, um, stay informed, stay safe. Tremaine, I want to thank you so much again for joining me. Thank you very much, Ryan. You can find the Into America podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Spotify. It's not just a shameless plug, even though it's a little bit of a plug, but trust me, <laughs> uh, go listen to Into America. Um, let it be a part of your, your your academic and intellectual nutrition, right? Plug in. Yeah, yeah. I definitely I definitely enjoyed it. And I, you already heard me name out some of my top episodes that I was I was definitely pumping through the car this week. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely check out um, Into America and you guys stay safe. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.